Hi, radio audience. I'm Caroline Spence. I am uh, sitting in my dining room in uh, Madison, Tennessee, which is right outside Nashville, and I write songs and I sing them. Sometimes in public, but not lately. <laughs> Just another girl packing up suitcase. Just another girl trying to find a brand new place. She's tired of waiting on something to happen. She's getting the hell out in Dodge. It's hey, it's Zach again. Welcome back to the show on the road. Still broadcasting from home in my gold sequin back closet uh, next to the vacuum cleaner and the probably haunted dollhouse and the one-armed mannequin and the dusty auto harp and the squeaky spare blow-up mattress for guests that used to come and stay with us when that was still a thing. And while normally I would not even notice all these things looking down upon me as I speak into the mic, there was something about listening to Caroline Spence's understated gut punch of a new LP, Mint Condition, that made me look at my surroundings with new eyes. And it made me wonder... Why do we keep the things we keep after 20, 30, 40 years of life? Almost like a snake shedding his skin, I threw things out as I moved from Chicago to Michigan to L.A. and then apartments from Westwood to Venice to Los Feliz and now Santa Monica. And sure, I stopped collecting baseball cards, but I kind of never stopped collecting baseball hats. And despite my wife's protests, I never stopped making that tape ball, which is now about 50 pounds and rolls under my piano like a strange dog waiting to be pet. Long story short, what are the small tokens that you take with you through your life? What do you try and keep in mint condition as you grow older and wiser? What part of yourself do you want to keep hidden in that special box, that part of you that only can be shown to the ones you love most, or maybe to no one at all? What Caroline and I share is that deep songwriting need to preserve those tiny pieces of ourselves, or that tiny piece of a lost lover or a friendly stranger we met only once in that sticky floor diner as the sun was cutting across the highway like a golden blade, just so. We have to preserve those moments, or something within us breaks. I can't explain it. It just has to happen. And maybe it's silly that I keep that glossy framed portrait of my grandmother in her shining pearls and crispy hairspray hanging above my music room right now, but it inspires me somehow. And for Caroline, maybe these small memories are like sparks that can create a new song, a new story, just by looking at them. As we talk about in the episode, she has her mother's mind for literature. And what I love most about Caroline's songs, like the one we're hearing now, Angels or Los Angeles, is the novelistic vision that is waiting to be unfurled every time you listen anew. And I know most people don't listen to lyrics as deeply or obsessively as I do. But every time I hear this song, I can see all those young girls and all those small towns who are weighing their options, dreaming about taking their fortunes out west, only to feel the past nipping at their heels, dragging them back home. super glad Caroline could take the time to tell me about her journey. And if you dig what we do in this show every week, thank you for listening. It means a lot. And do me a favor, share a favorite episode with a friend and leave a review on iTunes. It helps the world find out what we're doing. Last of all, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Show on the Road Podcast or on our website, showontheroad.com to tell me about a songwriter or band that you think I should talk to next. 
Speaking about cool things coming up next, if you're curious what my band Dust Bowl Revival's been up to, I know we've been a little bit quiet. May 6th and May 13th, we'll be launching our first ever live stream ticketed show. Two unique concerts, including our newest record played in its entirety and old favorites and new songs that we're working on. Check it out, dustbowlrevival.com for more. Okay, that's enough from me. Here it is now, my talk with the lovely Caroline Spence. What was your last real show? In uh, Atlanta, Georgia, beginning of February. Yeah, it was the the last night of a tour I was on for that, like, last month of, yeah. Ugh, hurts to think about. It feels like this time is both moving crazy quick and molasses slow at the same time. Like, that feels like another year or two ago when we used to play music live. Yeah, it does. And you're still, uh, you're out there playing music from your wonderful 2019 release, Mint Condition, mm-hmm. which uh, is, I think, one of the best songwriter albums I've heard in the last few years. Just wow, thank you. Really, kind of worms into your brain a little bit those songs. <laughs> and when I first saw it, I was like, oh, I wonder if she's a huge baseball card collector. That's what my brain went to. Yeah. Because when I was a little kid, I was like, oh, do you have a Ken Griffey Jr. mint condition rookie card? That's totally, I mean, you judge a lot of things. That was what that meant. It's like antiques, baseball cards, vinyl records, all that stuff, mint. Did you collect anything strange when you were a young person? I don't know. I'm like a 90s kid, so there was like weird collections that like most 90s kids had, like the Pogs, the Pokemon, like all of that. I can't think of anything too weird, honestly. Maybe those little like butterfly clips, remember those hairdos from like the early 2000s? I had like way too many of those. But I mean, I was a girl who loved Claire, so what was I going to do? But to you, the idea of mint condition is a little more emotional, a little more uh, about empowering yourself to move past uh, a sense of brokenness, a sense of um, loss, and a sense of not believing in your talent and your own uh, abilities, maybe to write, to perform. Um, And I, I, I like that reimagining of the term. What do you think of when you say mint condition? I mean, I think you explained um, the different sides very well. But yeah, I think it's sort of um, the idea of calling this record Mint Condition, which obviously there's a song on it of that title, which is about love lasting through time. Um, but I like the idea of these songs that come from a very like broken and distraught place or a place that feels nowhere near perfect also being a perfect moment. Um, because there's so many different, you know, uh, parts of yourself and um, kind of like dips in the valley of your life that you have to go through to have a lovely life. So that's sort of the idea of claiming that everything is mint condition even when it's an absolute mess is sort of um, why I called the record that. Man condition, like when we were two kids, just hoping and wishing 
And you grew up in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, right? I did, yeah. It's a good place to grow up. I love it. Growing up listening to Emmylou Harris, um, and she was able to finally uh, connect with you on this record, which was really special. Absolutely. It was literally something I dreamt. So um, her voice on this song is uh, basically what I heard in my head the night I wrote that song. So to have it kind of go from the daydream to being able to put it on the record player is just still completely insane to me that that happened. Yeah, there's something angelic about her voice and about how she can hover above a song Mm -hmm. in a way that sounds like she's everywhere at once, but not overtaking the lyric. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, well, from hearing her do the harmony stuff in the studio, like this is a song that's been with me a long time and I've had other friends sing with me live or whatever. And so the harmony part, I kind of like had it in my brain, but there's a couple of moments on the record and you could probably pick them out that are just like, that's an Emmylou Harris note where she goes to like a certain place and just, she has like, I don't know, like her, the character in her voice uh, to me really makes the song too. And you said that, you know, songs are a way to ask questions and then sometimes you end up figuring out the answers almost at the end of the whole process. What was the big question that you were trying to get answered? I mean, I think the questions are always like, I mean, I don't expect to make a record that's like dramatically different than the previous one because I think that the stuff that I sit down and write about is the stuff I can't figure out, which is, you know, your own place in the world, your feelings about yourself, your feelings about other people. There's just like these endless well of questions. Even when you feel like you have a good relationship with yourself or your partner or the world, there's still stuff to figure out. So, I mean, it's the who, what, where, when, why of like your own life, really. You pay homage to sort of old and broken things that you uh, almost bring life to. You know, a, a book with its cover torn is more valuable than something shiny and new, you know. And I, I feel that same way, uh, and yet I also now have a Kindle. So it's like a weird <laughs> push and pull. Yeah. <laughs> because I know, the problem is that I know that I will lose a book when I'm traveling on tour. Yes. I, I, it's okay. I also have, like, been known to read on my iPad on tour. But do I have, Shocking. you know, lots of books? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that to me is, I mean, that really is how I feel like I, I wish I could give you a tour of my house right now. But I love old things. Um, I love old things because I've, you know, I, I just don't think people make things with such intentional beauty in the same way, even if it's just like, you know, an old lamp or like an old book cover. Um, I think there's just sort of a beauty of years past that like, I don't know, that we're less concerned with. And I like knowing that it had like another life. I like my house is full of like family heirlooms and that kind of stuff. So to me, it's I want to surround myself with things that are that feel full of life kind of. Yeah. 
What did you think you were gonna be when you grew up? When you were I don't little? know. I think in like a lot of parts of my mind, I wanted to be doing what I'm doing right now. Um, but I, I mean, I used to want to be like the head writer of SNL. I used to want to be a fashion designer. And then I wanted to like be in the Spice Girls. That was kind of my, you know, my vibe. But I always- Which Spice Girl? Uh, I was like, I liked Posh. Maybe because I also had brown hair, but, and I was not sporty. So that was my role. Um, but yeah, I mean, I also always like wrote little songs and like obsessively listened to music as a kid too. So I think there definitely was like this dream. everyone around you was playing music and supporting that as well, right? Yeah, I come from a, a musical family and a music-loving family, and my mom said, she's like, I feel like if all of us didn't also love music and also want to play stuff all the time, like, we probably would have noticed that you were, like, good, <laughs> but we just thought it was normal because everyone in our family could kind of just kind of like music and could play an instrument and could sing a little bit, and um, but she was like, I'm and I think that's why I wasn't like pushed to do anything because it was just like everyone in my family just enjoyed doing it with no kind of goal, really. We that's just something we did together, and yeah. Were you the first to take the leap professionally? Um, no, my aunt. Uh, well, my aunt uh, was an audio engineer. Worked. Um, in Nashville, actually, at Asylum Records for a little bit in the 90s, also as a songwriter and performer. And so she, she she's like one of the people that taught me how to play guitar, she and my grandfather. So, um, and she would play around in uh, Charlottesville when I was growing up. So seeing her do it, I think, had a big impact on me, too, because she always encouraged me. Do you remember the first song you wrote? No. <laughs> I do have a cassette tape from when I was like seven of some pretty, uh, pretty funny songs. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the first song I wrote was actually. Yeah, it wasn't really embarrassingly bad. Mine were definitely just like about boys. Yeah, <laughs> mine were just about boys and like feelings and yeah, which they, I mean, yeah, it's still sort of my vibe. <laughs> Well, if we go back to your first record, uh, somehow, um, there's that devastatingly accurate portrayal of a mediocre songwriting guy yeah. in Whiskey Watered Down, which I love because it tells that story of all the guys who think they're hot shit trying to spread their musical seed all over the world. <laughs> And expecting everyone to be like, yeah, you're great. Yeah, that guy. Whereas mm -hmm. you're the one smart girl is like, yeah, I know that it's mediocre. And you are also mediocre. Yeah. 
Which, that song's not, like, that didn't happen to me. I've never dated a songwriter, but I've observed a lot of um, conceited men in my life that could fit into that story. So, um, but yeah, it's sort of the, I mean, I, Whiskey Water Down is just, it's like, don't water down the freaking whiskey. Just give us the whiskey, you know? Give us the tough, weird, you know, Janie's got a gun songs and like your your whole heart. Like, don't, yeah, like I'm just not buying it unless it's from a real place. That's sort of the root of that song. Well, you have the three sort of saints of your um, songwriting <laughs> uh, youth, you know, Graham Parsons, Steve Earle, Towns Van Sant. You know, it's like you're never going to be those guys. Or it's just, yeah, you're not going to be them, so stop, like, playing, like, Americana cosplay and just, like, be a person (laughs) and put your heart out there. The most, the most, like, way you could be like those people is to, like, not give a shit and uh, be yourself. So that's what I feel like the irony of, of the the type of character in that song is like they think they're being authentic by imitating authenticity which you can't do you know be a good halloween costume <laughs> this year americana cosplay <laughs> yeah that'd be yeah i mean it's basically just my set of hats on that wall but you know. yeah there you go <laughs> Nothing about you packs a punch, and I know that loving you will never get me drunk. I mean, it's interesting. You've never dated a songwriter or a musician? I've dated a it's musician. Smart. Yeah. I on I mean I dated a couple musicians. Um, they were not like frontmen. They were like drummers and auxiliary dudes, but I I don't have I don't find ego attractive and it's sort of um and that's sort of what that song is basically saying is like yeah, I don't know. I've never dated a musician. I'm enough I'm enough like artist in yeah, there should only be one artist in my relationships, I think, and it's well, going to have to be me, I guess. Yeah. Well, that that takes a little ego. <laughs> it does, but it also is like I I think I thought I was less of a like um, in my younger years, I think I thought I was less of a, uh, less of an artist type brain, like had less of an artist brain and artist heart than I actually do. And so I think I put up with a lot of, um, bigger egos and made myself pretty small and I just, yeah, that's not what I do anymore. So. I think it is a delicate balance when you're in a relationship with another creative person in a way that you need someone who really understands this drive to stop everything and start telling a story that didn't exist five minutes ago. On the other hand, there can be a competitive thing or a uh, jockeying for space in a room that Mm -hmm. is uncomfortable, you know, and, my wife's an actor and now is writing 
a lot of stuff, but she's not writing music. So like we have mm-hmm. our own space where we can th- sort of throw our weight around. But we yeah, wrote a, we wrote a play together last year, and I went to college and keep writing plays, and I love that mode of storytelling so much. That's uh, cool. And it was not fun writing with her. <laughs> I think she will be fine hearing this. We <laughs> suddenly were in the same lane, and it was like yeah. two bumper cars just like pushing each other back and forth. And maybe we'll do it again, but I doubt it, you know? And I think it was good to know that. My partner is, um, he's, well, this is his record collection. He says he's going to start charging me if I keep doing things in front of it. But it's like our whole living room, so I don't really have a choice. Um, But he loves music and works in the industry, but doesn't, like, I mean, he plays guitar and stuff for himself, but he's not. A creator but we have like you know we have a shared love of music so we love listening to stuff and going to shows and he can be like an like he sequenced mint condition that was him and I was like totally heard it a different way and he was like no 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 this is he is such a good kind of music historian brain um so we come at things like in a really different way and that can lead to a lot of like fun arguments about favorite records and stuff but there's no like yeah he gives me so much room to like go do my thing and then yeah it can also be an objective listener too which is really great that's a pretty fierce collection behind you oh it's also over there (laughs) it's ridiculous yeah it's ridiculous do you remember the do you remember the first record you bought at the store um I'm not sure if this was my own money, but I know it was around the same time was Shania Twain's Come On Over and then The Wallflowers, Bringing Down the Horse. That was like, I don't know if that, they might not have come out at the same time. For some reason, I remember those two coming from Sam Goody on the same day. Yeah. Which I feel like if you mush those together, that might be pretty accurate in like what my influences are. (laughs) Shania... Plus Jacob yeah, if you Dylan. get like T-Bone, yeah, like T-Bone Burnett produces Shania Twain or something like that. That would have been a dream record. Oh my gosh, can we make that happen? It's never too late. <laughs> okay, so you're a rocket scientist. That don't impress me much. You know, it's interesting. Shania Twain was part of my upbringing partially through my sister, but my dad also really liked it all of a sudden. And so I never grew up listening to country music or thinking that country music was something that was important or part of our everyday experience, except that when I think about it, like Johnny Cash, The Highwaymen was huge, Shania Twain, like that was playing nonstop. So really it was there. But I think that it was more of a old school country thing that I loved. And I have a lot of trouble uh, listening to any sort of modern country and not turning up my nose as a coastal elite, maybe. I don't know. But it just, it feels, <laughs> to be blunt, like the music of the enemy. Like the music of a backwards 
bigoted version of our country. You know, it's all about trucks and beer and ogling girls, and that's about it. And folks like you and Lori McKenna, who you love, and um, this whole new crop of, honestly, female Americana artists are wrenching country back. You know, Margo Price. There's just like this reimagining that is super powerful, and I hope it gets the attention that it deserves because the problem is the Americana scene is great, but it's siloed into this side room of the mainstream conversation, which I hate. Sure. You know, Shania Twain was everywhere. Like we want, I want you everywhere. Oh, you know, yeah. That's what I'm saying. But the thing, the ultimate thing is like, I, and I think, the women you spoke of and a lot of the people in that little side room of Americana, most of us, like, I don't plan on changing a single thing about what I do. So it's like, you're going to do it whether or not there's a big spotlight on you or not. So I would love for, I would love for the conversation around what is called country music right now. I wish there was a different word for it because I don't, think that those songs about jean shorts and beer are something that like Willie Nelson would ever claim as being a cousin to like what he makes you know so um I think the labels thing is can be misleading and then someone like me that has those influences to be called like when I'm called a country artist I'm like no 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 not me no, I'm a, I'm a, uh, uh, and I don't really know what to say, but I think singer, I honestly, I think singer songwriter is probably the most accurate way to describe what I do. But yeah, whenever I'm called country, I'm like, uh oh, like, cause people have so many, there's so much connotation like there. I'm like, do you think I'm going to sing about beer or do you like think I'm going to be super twangy or yeah, people have really strong opinions about that label. But I think whether you want to admit it or not, it's like there's something about what you do that is part of that Southern achy voice tradition, which is the best part of country music. Yeah, and I love um, just from the the songwriting part of it, like the real estate of the country song, like how tidy and kind of perfect and um, rigid the form is kind of. And how you have to figure out how to say the most um, in the fewest words, in the fewest lines, that makes me, like, I love that. To me, that is, like, a Guy Clark song, like, there is not one word that should not be there, you know? And it and it's not these 25-cent words, but they're hitting you so, so hard. And I that's what I love about that genre, is there's a craft in the simplicity, the seeming simplicity of kind of the landscape of country music. That's what I love. I feel like the opener that you wrote for the Men Condition record, What You Don't Know, could be like a Carrie Underwood song. Like if it was... Sure, please. Like spiced up and (laughs) glossed up a little bit. Yeah. You could see that imagery of this person sort of giving in to this person that is just not 
right for them, Mm -hmm. but it felt right in that Mm -hmm. moment. And that push and pull of darkness and light within a love affair is what makes a good country song, you know? The tension, yeah. Honestly, I started that song when I was like 16 years old Um, and wrote most of it. When I moved to Nashville, I was going through a bunch of old lyrics and found that one. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And I remembered the melody like six or seven years later. So I was like, that's got to be something. And um, I always, usually, not with this record that I'm making right now, but usually when I make a record, I'm going through a, my whole like life of songs, honestly. I'm like getting to know past work. And so that one, um, I started playing one day and... Uh, I, ch- I shifted the A major chord to an A minor chord. And because, yeah. And I, because I, that song, I was like, oh, that's like exactly like it's like a pitch song. That's a song for another artist. It's like super country. And as soon as I pivoted it to that A minor, I was like, oh, okay, now that's my song. Like now it feels like it's a part of me. And that sort of like, that changed the whole mood of it, the whole approach to singing it, it it changed everything. So it went from this like sweet kind of bluegrassy song I started when I was 16 to this like kind of powerful, uh, more powerful song with like a little bit of darkness. Last hook is what really killed me. It's that, you know, what you don't know don't hurt you. It hurts me. It hurts me. You know, Mm -hmm. you're sort of like owning that almost masochism of a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you have been the savior in relationships? Like where you try to fix someone or try to gloss over their deficiencies by making them making someone seem like they're better than they are because i've been there so many times sure yeah definitely and i think i've kept a lot of things to myself in order to like keep that ride smooth so it is like yeah it's like what you don't know like you think everything's fine but it's not yeah so i think yeah i think that uh lyric applies to a lot of relationship situations besides just the kind of like unrequited love like that that song's more or less about what did your folks do when you were growing up um my mom my mom was at home a lot but she also is a writer um like worked on her mfa and stuff my dad is a numbers guy he's an accountant um but he's uh like has gone to like all of the concerts that a man of his age should have gone to. So he was a big part of my like live music uh, experience growing up. He would drive me and my friends anywhere we wanted to go around the state of Virginia, basically to see shows. Cause he would say, uh, 
you know, because they used to just come to the basketball arena in Charlottesville, like the bands when he was growing up. So he felt bad that I couldn't just like walk out the door and go see my favorite bands. But yeah, so he was like, he's kind of had like a straight job, but was such a like music buff. Yeah, my dad would bring me out to like a field filled with weed smoke to see the Allman Brothers, basically. <laughs> and I was like confused, like, like why is everyone dancing? Yeah weirdly like that like they're spinning around and we would in high school he would do what he calls history lessons and that would be like okay we're going to a concert tonight I remember the first history lesson I think it's just because he started calling him that was we saw Eric Clapton me him and my brother and we saw Rod Stewart and we saw I'm trying to think of who else but that was when there that was at like the bigger arena right in the middle of town but yeah the history lesson Dave's history lessons there's stories that my dad and probably your dad tells about the concerts he went to when mm-hmm. he was your age or younger. And I've always wanted to write a TV show or like a, a mini series about some sort of time machine or wormhole that was opened where a dad and his son can just go back in time and go to concerts. But like, like go see like Billie Holiday in New York, like in some smoky basement. That's amazing. You know, and just like they figure out. <laughs> Can me and my dad audition? <laughs> figure out how to do that. I want to go. Because there's all these <laughs> moments in history that. That's awesome. Didn't know how important they were, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And I feel like we're in a similar situation right now where there's a lot of amazing folk and roots records being created that you know, get some attention and then kind of disappear, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's people that my dad would listen to, like Marshall Tucker Band. He always tells me this story about seeing them at a roller rink in Chicago with 10 people, right? And yet, like, those songs, like Can't You See, they're playing all the time still on the radio. Yeah. And they're just beautiful, timeless, classic rock gems. Mm -hmm. But at that time... They were like Just you and band. me starting yeah. out. That's they were wild. like a band at the roller rink. Yeah. You know? <laughs> have you ever played a roller rink? I can't say that I have. <laughs> Gonna take a freight train down at the station long. I don't care. We did a tour in China, and we played a ping pong arena. Yeah, okay. That's amazing. Which was really bad, but also (laughs) fascinating. (laughs) What is the weirdest venue you think you've ever played? Um, There's a little club, like a little folk club. in a. It's called the Laundrette in Durham, UK, I think. And it's literally, um, it's, it's a laundrette. You're standing, it's a small room. I think you can fit like 40 people in there. Like it's super grassroots, but you're standing in front of like four giant washing machines. Um, so I did that. And that was honestly an amazing show. People were so sweet, but I just kept being like, I'm in like a coin laundry right now. But that's what they do. It's like coin laundry during the day, um, but it's really cute. I think you can get like draft beer and like 
do your laundry. And then they clear out all the like folding tables and you only put seats in. That might be the most interesting environment, perhaps. Did you do your whites and colors while you were playing? I should have. It was at the beginning of a tour or else you know I would have been doing that during sound check. Be like, I need more vocal. My pants are drying. Yeah. In my late night dreams, I often think about having my own music venue of some sort. But like during the day, it's like a a crab shack or something, you know, like something where you wouldn't even know, like you just, people just cracking their Maryland crabs and putting the old bay on and then you clear out all the tables and it becomes this killing music space. I feel like that kind of stuff is going to maybe pop up more after all this is done when venues are like, uh, who knows? Maybe we'll all be playing ping pong arenas and launderettes and crab shacks. Don't know. It's interesting that you mentioned your mom, you know, writing because you've you've mentioned you have this English major brain that will come out in mm-hmm. some of your more literary minded songs like Sometimes a Woman is an Island, which should be the name of your memoir, perhaps. <laughs> Let's, I'm going to write that down. Thank you very much. And that like a woman is like a bell that needs to be rung. Mm-hmm. I love that image. Sometimes a woman is an island Sometimes a woman stands alone They'll turn the joy into sorrow She knows her grief is her own Curious if there are books or collections of poetry that have inspired you uh, over the course of your writing with this last record, Mint Condition. Um, I don't know if if stuff was really drawn from any particular piece of literature, but I do think that being a reader, like a pretty consistent reader, um, keeps like language really fresh for me. So I always kind of like to go through, um, you know, in the process of like picking out an album title, I'll print out all the lyrics and I'll kind of underline phrases, but then I'll also make a list of like weird words I've used being like, did I really put that in a song? And I think it's part of why I do that is just because I think there's just lots of language floating around in my head all the time because I read Um, This record I'm working on right now, I'm realizing there are a lot of, um, like, literary references and kind of seeds from books I'd been reading. Um, But, I mean, a lot of my notes app are things that I've written down, like little passages that I want to, like, go back to. And, like, sometimes a woman is an island, you know, that's a play off of... No man is an island, and I love finding the normal phrase, the what you don't know don't hurt you or whatever, and then extrapolating all you can from that little colloquialism and like, or turning it on its head and like reversing the language. Like that feels like solving a little like linguistic puzzle to me. So I don't know. And you have another set of images in verse two I'm just going to only analyze verse two of all your songs. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's um, a, verse two's the hardest, so I'm glad that they're, you know, sticking out. Well, 
you have again this idea of a woman who is making the sweetest music and she's ringing like a bell but inside she's rattling around back and forth her insides she abuses almost like the whiskey song you're putting out this version of yourself that is happy and okay and hiding the abuse and the sadness and the darkness and it's almost like only through the music and through the writing of these songs can you actually tell people what's really happening and I feel like that is a a strange songwriter trait or yeah. like my mom my mom will be like I only find out about you through your music like what's really happening yeah or like what I'm you're like, really feeling what does it mean that the most confident I like ever feel is when I'm like singing my like darkness to a room full of strangers you know like what is that what is that about this job? Um, but I really think there's power in vulnerability, you know? Like, I think unpacking that darkness and presenting it in a way that's very accessible and human to people is a very strange gift (laughs) of mine and I think it's taken me a long time to to see it as a strength and not like some not I don't even know if weakness is the right word but to understand that it's a strength and that it's its own little gift so but yeah it's so weird you know I have I always have songs on a record that I'm like afraid for my family to hear or my even my like boyfriend to hear you know there's always something where it's like okay (laughs) Yeah. Going into verse three, sometimes a woman is a girl. She needs to feel she has a future. What is the moment where you found that you believed you were a woman and not a girl anymore? Is there like a transition or an exact moment in your life where you felt that happen? I think that you, I mean, I don't know. I think you always feel like a little bit of both. Like, I know how old I am, and I know when I was young what I thought that age meant. But do I feel like an adult most days? Kind of not. So I know that I'm – I think it's kind of about power and, like, understanding your own power and strength separate uh, from other people and separate from men. At least I think that was sort of my journey being, like, I've got my own shit going on. I'm good. Mm. But at the same time, I mean, that line is like, you still feel like there's so much you don't have access to and you need Mm. to know that you do, like you do have, there's room for you kind of is what that line is about. There's something about, I think, our generation that came from parents who are baby boomers, who came out of that uh, post World War II struggle, where we have the gift and the ability to almost prolong our childhood mm-hmm. to the point where, yeah, even in our 30s, we're like, yeah, I guess I'm, you know, pretty much an adult now. But you don't really acknowledge that or feel that mm-hmm. as much because our parents and our grandparents created this soft landing for us that they <laughs> never had, a lot of them, you know, where they yeah. had to struggle. 
and I still have grandmas around, it's like those old ladies knew real darkness and hardship and saw our country, you know, on the brink of war and, uh, you know, people dying because there was no penicillin. That was like in their lifetime, you know. My grandfather got polio. There was no vaccine. He could barely walk, you know, and then he somehow got out of it. And we can't even imagine that type of thing almost until this virus reared its head. Yeah. How have you been dealing with the fallout from the virus and not being able to do what you love? And have you been afraid? Have you been hopeful? How have you been dealing with it? I do feel the the silver lining of this time for me is that it has reminded me that my creative life and my own like personal satisfaction in my own creativity ultimately comes from me and not from other people. And I think when you're someone who, you know, you're used to the audience, you have a lot of people on your team and a lot of voices in the room all the time, um, you can forget that. Um, and for me, I've been reminded that like, if everything else falls away, like my little flame, you know, that keeps me going creatively is still there, which I think has been really nice. And I think I needed to know that, um, just because I've been doing so much collaborating and been so busy and do have more people on my team that have opinions and things. Um, so the benefit for me was just kind of getting back to basics really. And the basic to me is writing and, you know, doing all of that. What is the thing that you do on a really long flight or a long drive that keeps you sane? Um, on really long drives, when I get tired, I put on Steve Earle's Guitar Town and I, uh, that whole album and I play it really loud and I sing it. That's usually, <laughs> that's a, that's a stay awake album for me. Yeah. It, it is, uh, necessary to stay awake, yeah. I find, yeah. to get to shows alive. Yeah. Me and my sister had this discussion doing a long drive when we, we drove up to Big Sur, and she's like, don't you want to have a playlist that you sing every word to? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I want to have music that I've never heard all so the can, time. Mm, I have this weird opposite obsession where... I constantly want to find something that blows my mind that has never touched my brain. Interesting. Which is a See, ongoing disappointment a lot of times because you're like, oh, I've already heard this or, oh, God, this sounds just yeah. like whatever. And then there's yeah. that moment where you're like, wait a second, what is that? You know? And when we lost service going into... Big Sur, you, you don't have any internet for hours at times going up the coast. And so the only thing I had was this thousand song playlist of all this weird you know, Peruvian <laughs> dance music and like Cambodian soul and, and my sister's like, are there any songs with like English lyrics or stuff that we can like <laughs> sing along and know? 
I'm like, I, this is all I have. So I had that going, and then as soon as the service came on, she's like, how about Amy Winehouse? Go, you know? Yeah, okay, time for a sing-along. Thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> <laughs> and we have, like, such different tastes. Yeah. It's amazing. I go through phases when I, like, can't listen to new music. I only want to listen. Especially if I'm, like, writing a lot. I'm like, I don't want, I only want the familiar things. I want, like, yeah, I can't do new music sometimes. Okay, one of my favorite questions. You're part of the Mars opening festival. Interplanetary dance party. There's alien creatures, there's Mm -hmm. people coming for space travel, tourism. You are put in charge of five acts that represent what Earth is. Who's going to play that festival with you? Bruce Springsteen is going to be there. He will be headlining, okay? Great. He will be there. There's a new record out. Yeah. Well then, let's see. We have to do Mavis Staples because she is so of the earth. She is the earth. We got Bruce. Right. We got Mavis Staples. We got, hmm, you know, maybe we have Anderson Pock. I love him. He is barely of this earth because he's that good. Okay, we got Bruce. We got Mavis. We got Anderson Pock. We need, hmm, we need like some bands. Okay. Maybe we're going to bring, you know, we're going to reunite the Spice Girls. They will be there. We're going to have, okay, so we got Bruce, we got Mavis, we got Anderson Pac, we got the Spice Girls. Number the question five. is, does Posh's mic get turned on? Because it was revealed recently that a lot mm, of times her she, mic was not on. I don't know. We'll just, I guess we'll leave that up to Mars. Um, and number five, hmm. Randy Newman. That's it. Yeah. I think it's a pretty solid lineup. Here we go. I would, I would listen to that. Remember that? Yeah. I remember you and me. Closest in the two can be. Now we're strangers in the night. Awkward in the tight. Oh, baby, do you want to make it better? You have that line uh, in Long Haul. That you're always riding that fine line between making a living and digging your grave. Mm-hmm. Do you think that you're going to be doing what you're doing 20 years from now? I really hope so. I, yeah. I mean, the the thing that I know I can and hopefully will do for the rest of my life is write. And so... Um, you know, I hope I can get to continue to carve out a lane for the songs, even if I just sit at home while they go on without me. Um, but yeah, I hope so. I don't really want another job. I like this job.
my sweetheart works at a record store and they've been doing uh, or they've been hosting bands there to do their live streams and stuff which is what we were doing and back in you know April or May um, a friend of ours their band was playing and um, the record store was closed but uh, we were gonna go in and see the, the taping just because we could and they had drums and we'd been, you know, we'd been watching like live streams and stuff. And this was like the first full band I'd seen. This must have been May, actually. It was further in. But I like got emotional standing there in the record store watching this band play because I forgot just how much I'd missed live music and the gosh darn drums, you know? It's such a big part of like me as a performer, but also like I love going to shows. That's like my social world that's my life so it's it was good to have a little taste but it was like yeah I felt I felt really emotional every time I've gotten to to like feel normal again is there a show that you went to in some part of your life that always sticks with you as maybe the greatest show you've ever seen I don't know but I do remember uh the first time I saw Brandy Carlisle uh, was in 2014 I'd played this festival in Colorado called the Rocky Mountain Folks Festival and me and the two girls that were in my band um, we got to sit in like the artist section but it was so crowded that we were like literally right up against the stage like watching her like this and I mean I had a crick in my neck the whole next day because we were our minds were just blown I'd never seen her before I, I knew her music but um, I'd never seen her with the band and they played that song, The Eye, which I don't think was out yet. Um, but they did that, like, three-part harmony. It's like, you know, it. I was just like, holy cow. Like, that was when the first time I was like, okay, she's like a supernatural performer. But I never was afraid that it would die. You can dance in a hurricane. Only if you're standing in the eye. All right, let's talk about one last song and then I'll let you go. Um, you put out a song that I think is pretty fitting for where we are right now in this crazy limbo. Uh, it's an old favorite by Jimmy Eat World called The Middle. Yeah! And we're all stuck in the middle of something. I don't know when we're getting out of it. Yeah. Um, but I love how you talked about how that song should be appreciated like Teach Your Children, like a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song. Like, that's almost like so. our Teach Our Children. Yeah, I mean, I think the, like, 2000, very 2000-sounding 2000 production maybe gets in the way of some of the lyrics. I mean, not really. But that's part of why I wanted to kind of strip my version down. And uh, I'd been playing that in my live sets, and I'd been playing it um, this whole past January as a support act on this tour, and I would close my set with it. And I kind of just did that, like, I thought it'd be fun, I love that song, and didn't quite realize, like, how uh, many people would remember that song. Like, I knew it was big, but it was like, I said the first, hey, and people would be like, <gasps> you know? I was like, okay, this is an iconic song, and it was, I looked forward to singing it every night because I cannot sing that song without smiling. And it was really fun to make P 
people happy that way. I was like, this is a really nice song and I know what it did for me. Like it felt so empowering. I'm like, you know, middle school, high school, whatever. I'm in the middle of the ride. I hear it again, you know, and I'm 30. I'm like, I'm in the middle of the ride, you know? And um, so I just feel like it's just a really comforting and lovely song. And talk about second verse. The second verse of that song is just, it's a lesson to be learned over and over again. Can you speak the second verse as Um, epic poetry? Hey, hey, don't write yourself off yet. It's only in your head that you feel left out and look down on. Just do your best. Do everything you can. It doesn't matter what their bitter hearts are gonna say. Tell them, right? Tell them, Jimmy Eat World. So I uh, got back from tour and went in the studio to record that. And then like a month later, we're in this. And I was like, well, we're in the middle of the ride. We're going to put it out. Okay. Hey, don't write yourself off yet. It's only in your head you feel left out. Oh, look down on. Just try your best. Try everything.
then. Big thanks to Caroline Spence for talking to me. You can go to carolinespencemusic.com for her newest LP. It's called Mint Condition. It is wonderful. And her newest single, The Choir, is there too. If you look on her tour page, you'll see that in July, she's playing the wonderful Red Wing Roots Fest. And you'll also see our band Dust Bowl Revival there as well, so you can see us both in that beautiful Natural Canyons Park. That amazing festival is actually hosted and curated by the wonderful Steel Wheels. Uh, They're a band out of Virginia that I had on this show, I think, last year. And uh, I love playing music festivals that are run by bands. It just kind of goes better that way. They know how it works. And it looks like end of May, Memorial Day weekend, Dust Bowl Revival will be playing its first live in-person shows of 2021 in Colorado at Levitt Pavilion Denver, May 28th and May 29th at Meadowgrass in Colorado Springs. Check that out at DustBowlRevival.com. As you may have heard at the top of this episode, May 6th and May 13th, we will be launching our very first ticketed live stream concert experience. It's going to be two unique concerts that you can buy one or both of. And uh, there's going to be some new faces that you haven't seen before and some new songs that I'm really excited for you to hear. And guess what? This is kind of top secret. You're the first people to hear about this. My manager is probably pissed that I'm mentioning this, but April 8th, the tickets will go on sale on mandolin.com. So see you soon. Many cosmic hugs to the friends who've shared this podcast and left us a kind review on the iTunes page, like T.P. Schrag, who just left a note saying that this show never fails to deliver. You know what? I like to deliver my favorite music into your ear holes, and maybe you'll find your favorite songwriter. Make sure you keep subscribed. Uh, Every Wednesday, I'll have new episodes, including my upcoming talk with Parker Millsap. This Oklahoma songwriter is one of my all-time favorite performers, and his new record blew my face off. Wish me luck. I'll be flying to Florida to visit my family this week, so I'll be doing my episodes from there. And uh, I hope I don't become a Florida man. That's just my wish. The Show on the Road podcast is written and produced and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupatin, and we're a part of the BGS Podcast Network. Stay safe, stay creative, get vaccinated, and we'll see you on the trail. <laughs>